Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you like gardening? A few out there. <laughs> On the side of the churchyard near the office, there are two raised beds. And last year, nobody planted them, nobody took the weeds out of them, so they looked pretty awful. They were filled with weeds. And one of our members, Jerry, this year decided to plant vegetables, so he and another member, Darlene, had a lot of weeding to do before any planting could even start or soil be turned. I enjoy now walking past it and seeing what might be growing. I've never seen an eggplant when it's just starting to grow, when it's itty-bitty and it kind of looks like a bright purple Easter egg. The thing is, we all know that no matter how much we take care of a garden, we will still have to deal with the weeds. In the parable we heard today, Jesus tells his disciples about a farmer who sowed good seed in his field, but unbeknownst to him or his workers, someone came in and planted seeds of, excuse me, planted weeds among the wheat. Of course, no one found out until everything grew up and the weeds became visible. A weed called bearded darnel could invade a wheat field, and by the time it was grown enough to recognize it, the roots would be so entangled with the wheat that you couldn't pull out the weeds without also pulling the wheat along with it. Jesus may seem like a mixed-up farmer here, but he wants us to understand that we need to be careful in how we deal with the evil in the world. When we try to uproot what we see as evil, we can up, end up uprooting the good as well. It all seems to come back to what we hear Jesus saying earlier in Matthew's Gospel. Do not judge that you may not be judged. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own? We tend to see ourselves as the wheat and too quickly determine which of those around us are the weeds. Not long ago, someone posted online a video of a man who was getting takeout in a Chinese restaurant. After he picked up his bag of food, he happened to notice that there was a little Buddha statue on a table nearby. He then started loudly demanding his money back because he was a Christian and how dare they have a Buddha statue in their restaurant. A woman who seemed to be the manager came out from behind the counter and in an extremely polite, respectful tone tried to calm him down. She even told him it would be okay if he wanted to call the health department to complain. But the man was in a full-blown rage by that time. The other customers looked embarrassed in the scene. In his self-righteous indignation, he asked another customer, are you okay with having that statue here? His response was that he thought it was their right. Well, I guess you aren't a Christian then, the angry man said. Actually, I am. I believe in loving my neighbor. With that, the other man stomped out of the restaurant and slammed the door. 
He had been so sure that he was rooting evil out of the world. But who was the wheat here? And who was the weed? When someone has hurt us in some way or done what was wrong in our eyes, we can be tempted to dismiss them completely as just a bad person. Psychologists call this fundamental attribution error. Without knowing anything about their circumstances or the experiences that led them to do what they did, we just label them as weeds. At the same time, when we do something wrong, we can be quick to come up with wonderful excuses for our behavior. In this parable, I think perhaps Jesus is trying to encourage us to love and to forgive the difficult people in our lives. To realize that sometimes the hurt and disappointment they have experienced has led them to the place they are and some of the behaviors they've exhibited. God calls us to be more patient, more gentle with each other. The reality is that sometimes you and I are the wheat, and sometimes we are the weeds. We can have a little of both in us. And the good news is that God can work through us either way. Think of some of the biblical characters we've been exploring in the scripture lately. Heroes and heroines of the faith like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau. They were all used by God to do great things, though every one of them could be a scoundrel and have significant flaws, even some abominable sins. Sometimes I think God not only works through us, but in spite of us. How many of you have either read the book or seen the movie Schindler's List about Oscar Schindler? A good, good amount. If you haven't, it would be a good movie to see or a book to read. You can read it in history books. He was a German industrialist and humanitarian who is credited with saving the lives of 1,200 Jews from the concentration camps during the Holocaust by employing them in his factories and sheltering them. Certainly, we would think of someone who offered life and hope to so many people as representing the best of the world, as a saint, certainly as the wheat. And yet, as within all of us, he was more complex. He had light and shadow. He was unfaithful to his wife in many ways. He liked to drink and smoke. Although he was Catholic, it was in name only. At the beginning of the war, he not only was in the Nazi party, but was an opportunist, motivated by his hope to make a big profit using the Jews as cheap labor. At the same time, there was another side to Oscar, and that side seemed to go stronger as the war progressed, and he realized what was actually happening to the Jewish people. He risked being arrested several times as he found ways to protect the lives of his workers. He showed extraordinary courage and compassion and dedication. God can work through the least likely people, even through you and me, even when we are more weed than wheat. Sometimes we fool not only others, but ourselves into thinking we are the wheat. A long time ago, there was a custodian in a church I served who seemed incredibly friendly and helpful. I'll protect his real name and call him Mike. 
He would even offer to do valet parking when some of our older members came to church. Mike had a way of listening to people and figuring out what was important to them, and he didn't forget. He would ask them about it whenever he saw them. He would encourage them to share their stories. He would engage them in great conversations. He never complained and brought an upbeat, sunny disposition to work every day. People thought he was just an affable good fellow. One day, I needed to give a grocery gift card to a woman in the congregation who was getting supplies together for a big event for hunger relief that we were hosting in the park. I asked Mike when, I, when she came to let her know that I had taped it to the inside of the ice cooler in my office. And when she got there, it was gone. We had a little fair trade shop in that church that helped bring fair wages to artists around the world and any profit went to mission and service. Suddenly, $400 was missing from the cash register. Money disappeared from the treasurer's office. Then I was leading a worship service when someone went into my office, went into my purse and took my wallet. Surprise, surprise, the wallet was later found by the police in the creek behind Mike's house. The Sunday school children would decide on charities for the whole year, and the Christian ed director would keep their small donations and little envelopes in one of her drawers in her office to send them all out at the end of the year. Those disappeared too. Now, we didn't have any proof, but the personnel committee still found a way to let him go amicably. Afterwards, we found the empty children's envelopes in the back of his supply closet. Now, I had certainly seen the good in Mike, so this shadow side of him was deeply disappointing. And yet I knew there was some light in him, especially in his love for his children. So even though I felt angry and betrayed, I asked God to help me remember that this man was not all evil. Rather than leaving us to root out the weeds from the wheat, Jesus used this parable to tell us that we don't have to fix it all. We can leave that ultimately to God. Time and again, when Jesus was engaged in his ministry, some of the Pharisees would see him as a weed, as an unwanted outsider that they needed to root out. Yet he would teach his followers to forgive to turn the other cheek, to pray for their enemies, to go the extra mile for anyone who might need them. Jesus shocks the Pharisees and others who like to paint people in one-dimensional colors. Jesus has meals and hangs around with people like tax collectors and prostitutes and other folks that the Pharisees consider to be sinners. They can't understand it. Jesus sees something in these people beyond what others see. He sees their heart. He sees their potential, what God might do through them. Jesus sees the light within and knows that God's love can offer the miracle of turning weeds into wheat. As we read in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in a Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, everything is becoming new. There is some evil in the world that we can't seem to prevent or change or fix, and we are told to leave that up to God for harvest time. In other words, leave it up to God who can sort it all out for us in the end. In the meantime, 
again and again in Jesus' ministry, he showed us that we are called to try to transform this world in any way that we can. Not by trying to make sure we're the ones to get rid of all the evildoers ourselves, but by speaking up for justice, by offering the world our light, offering compassion and love, forgiveness, kindness, mercy, anywhere that we can. A reading from the book of Romans talks about how we do these things and then says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the last section of our gospel reading today can be disturbing because it is so often taken out of context and misinterpreted. There are many scholars who think that the interpretation of this parable is a later addition. There are even verses that are about other things in between it. And they think it's a later addition because Matthew, who was writing it, which they don't think is the original Matthew that was one of the 12 disciples, it was written later, um, was trying to interpret it for followers of Christ in his time in history, about 85 to 90 A.D., a defining event of their existence would have been the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans and the first Jewish-Roman war. Evil seemed overwhelming, and they would want reassurance that the Romans who were killing their people would end up like the weeds. Parables used symbolic language and hyperbole and were intentionally, by Jesus, not so easy to figure out. Jesus would often say that he taught the parables so that those who really needed to hear them would understand, but those who turned their backs on God would not. You can see how out of character it would be for him to explain each detail of that symbolism. Either way, though, whether the last part of the scripture about the harvest is authentic to Jesus or not, it is clear through Jesus' teachings that God's purpose is not punishment. God's purpose is love, redemption, reconciliation. God created us in love and comes into this world in Jesus Christ who endures the struggle with the same weeds that we face and gives his life to redeem us. Jesus helps us to understand how letting God into our hearts can transform our own weeds into wheat. God doesn't toss us into the fire, but burns the weeds out of us so that more and more only the good remains. Harvest time is not about fear, it's about celebration. We will live more productive lives, we will provide more wheat for the harvest. If instead of trying to uproot anything that even remotely resembles a weed, we focus our time on trying to be the wheat shining in the sun. Amen.